Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. The space around Earth is filled with lots of strange objects. But there would be near-Earth asteroids and comets to space debris and space junk. The area around Earth's orbit and crossing over it is actually a very busy region of space and understanding what's in it and how it got there is incredibly difficult but also rewarding to do. One of the most confusing things about space is that it is so vast. The distances involved in everything in space from even the distance between Earth and the Moon are so monumentally huge that it's really quite hard to get your head around. So with the idea that space is big and there's so many possibilities of out there and so many different stars and planets, it's easy for us to imagine as space as this infinite canvas, which it is. Let's be clear, it is almost near infinite space as far as we can tell, extending out farther than we can ever even detect. But in the local region around us, you might be aware that of course, we have asteroids and the asteroid belt. But because space is big, the asteroid belt isn't like you imagine it from science fiction. It's in fact way more spaced out. Lots of space between them. But that also gives a bit of a confusing impression because it suggests that actually there isn't that much there. The thing is, even in the area around Earth, there is a lot of stuff in space. Space isn't empty. It's got heaps and heaps of bits floating around there. Leftover debris from comets and asteroids, as well as leftover things from the creation of Earth and the Moon. Now, in the orbit of around Earth, we have these near-Earth objects, NEOs. And we know about some of them, around 27,000 of these relatively large enough that we can track and trace them pretty easily. And there's even some small comets that are near-Earth comets. Now, these can be categorized and grouped in different ways, and there's lots of missions out there trying to find these near-Earth objects, figure out how big they are, and whether or not they might hit us. Because, of course, with any asteroid in our near-Earth orbit, we don't want it to crash into us. But it actually happens more often than you might think. In fact, there's plenty of collisions with Earth from large objects, which you may not even heard about. Now, of course, there's the famous one that you're probably aware of, the Tunguska event. In 1908, a very, very large asteroid collided with the Earth and flattened huge swathes of forest in Russia. But that asteroid was only around, we estimate, around 60 metres in size. Now, there's been other impacts across time since then and in the past as well. But, you know, there was a pretty big impact from the Chelyabinsk meteor in February 2013, again, in Russia. And this one was actually pretty big as well, around 20 meters in size, at least from the estimate of what we know about it before it happened. And it yielded a big massive blast in Russia that injured thousands of people. But the thing is, up until it actually exploded over Russia, we weren't aware of it. And that's part of the problem. Now, backtracing and analyzing, we can try and find it may have been a splinter break off piece of a much larger object. 2011 EO40. And this is normally what happens. We get objects ranging from 4 to 10 meters of size exploding all over the world on a pretty frequent basis. And sometimes we can only pick these up through super precise 
measurement devices, which are actually used as part of infrasound detector arrays, often for studying nuclear explosions and other large events. And these detecting arrays are great, but often they have surprises because they pick up things that nobody had really tracked or traced before then. Now, this is all to say that space, even the space around Earth, is really busy. Lots of stuff is happening continually, and sometimes even that stuff is interfering with our orbit and crashing down here on Earth. So space isn't jam-packed and filled in a tightly dense field, but it's also very much not empty. And even the space around Earth is harboring some pretty interesting secrets, potentially which can shed light on the origins of our moon and other objects around us. objects near Earth, there's a bunch of different survey missions, and one of those is the Pan-STARRS telescope in Hawaii, which surveys the areas around Earth looking for strange objects. And way back in 2016, it discovered a small object, roughly around 60 meters in size, that gets pretty close, around 14 million kilometers from Earth. And as the researchers like to describe it, it's roughly got the size of a large Ferris wheel. Now, this object is named Kamo Oalua, which is named after part of the Hawaiian creation chant and songline stories talking about an offspring that travels off on its own. Now, this is a quasi-satellite. It's a part of a subcategory of near-Earth objects that orbit the sun. So they have an orbit that intersects Earth, but they actually hang around in the area around Earth rather than going off on a strange sojourn on their own orbiting around the sun. Now, the problem with all these things is that they're really faint. They don't reflect a lot of light because, well, they're small. And 60 meters isn't actually that large in the vastness of space. So you need a lot of specialized telescopes to really study them. And in fact, Kamalawea can only be studied for a few weeks every April. It's small in size that you really need a very large telescope here on Earth to actually track it, such as the large binoculars telescope on Mount Graham in southern Arizona. And that's what researchers like Ben Chaki and Professor Vishnu Reddy were diving into and trying to understand the nature and origin of this particular quasi-satellite and doing it with just the few glimpses that you can have every year of this strange and mysterious fellow traveler in near-Earth orbit. Now, they've recently published a paper in the journal Nature Communications, Earth and Environment, where they dive into the nature of this quasi-satellite and what it might tell us about the formation of our moon. Now, one of the things that these researchers really puzzling themselves with was the strange nature of this particular object's orbit. It's got an orbit that doesn't really match up with much of other near-Earth objects. It's very similar, in fact, to Earth's orbit around the Sun, just with a really, really slight tilt. Now, most other near-Earth asteroids have a very different type of orbit that really goes its own way and isn't really locked into the sort of pattern that Earth has. Of course, why would it? Because Earth, which is a large object, and Earth carves out its own way 
through the orbit around the sun with a pretty efficient path through space. And it's interesting because this object, Kamalawalua, actually has an orbit that's so much like the Earth's and its journey around the sun. And if you look at its orbital behavior and mechanics and plot out its future, well, it's only been doing this for around 500 years, and it then will probably decay and degrade out of this stable orbit it finds itself in in around 300 years, which in the time scale of planets is next to nothing. So its orbit is pretty peculiar and very strange, much more like Earth in a short-lived way than anything else. So when they analyzed the spectrum from this object, it doesn't match anything like we see from other near-Earth objects. And that's what researcher Ben Sharkey actually got into a bit of a dispute with his professor, Vishnu Reddy, about, because they were trying to really see which one was right. Now, we haven't found any objects created from the moon in this way before, so where did it come from? It doesn't match the spectra that we can see from pretty much any other near-Earth object, the spectra being the light we see and measure here on Earth from that object, can, we can use that to determine the chemical composition by basically looking at the colors or the spectra that come back here to Earth. We use this technique to analyze and understand what something's made of. And with this way, by studying the light, the tiny amount of it reflected from this object once a year, the researchers could determine it's nothing like any other near-Earth asteroid, but it is a hell of a lot like the spectra we see from lunar rocks gathered by NASA's Apollo missions. That is fascinating, because it suggests that this object actually was once part of the moon. Or until around 500 years ago, at least, maybe longer, it broke away and entered a pretty stable orbit. You can imagine it like a chip, getting chipped off the moon and just staying in the local area, hanging about like dust, like a crumb falling away and following along the moon and the earth as they orbit the sun. And it's a pretty amazing thing because it's one of the first times we've actually seen an asteroid with lunar origins. Now, more research is, of course, needed, and especially if you're trying to study something that is 4 million times fainter than the faintest star we can see with the human eye on Earth. That's how faint this object is, and you're trying to analyze and measure the spectra of that object with really powerful telescopes for a very small window of time every year means we don't have a lot of data yet. And this is interesting because if we can get more data, we can actually find out how often we might see chunks of the moon being knocked off by other collisions or objects or impacts and what happens to them and how that can tell us about not only how the moon is formed, but how the moon behaves and acts in our solar system over the course of its lifetime. It's an interesting paper published in the journal Nature Communications, Earth and Environment and goes to show how we can learn about the tiniest objects near Earth and what they might tell us about the history of Earth and also of the Moon. is filled with lots of different objects, whether it be comets or asteroids, and especially the region around Earth. But aside from these geological formations, interstellar objects, well, we also have other objects that are human-made. These objects are space junk or debris, 
And there is an awful lot of them clogging up all of the atmosphere, upper atmosphere, and the orbit of Earth. Now, the thing is, in space, there's a huge amount of junk, but if it's in the right spot, not low enough that it falls back down to our atmosphere and burns up, but just high enough that it sort of stays in the gravity well of the orbit of Earth, it can cause huge problems. And that could be everything from a leftover bit of a rocket booster section to an old dead satellite or a broken away piece of a solar panel, or maybe even just some rubbish from part of the launch. All of these fragments and dust cause huge amounts of problems, which we've spoken about here on the podcast before. And NASA estimates there are around 27,000 pieces of space debris that are significant in size, which they classify as something that is larger than a ball. Now, some of these objects are traveling incredibly fast, and that even an object the size of a ball is enough to act like a missile punching through any spaceship or space station that happens to get in its way. Now, that is bad news if you're a satellite just orbiting the Earth. And the problem is, once you have one collision, that just creates more dust and debris that creates a cascade of problems. So cleaning up space junk and cleaning up our mess is incredibly important. And that's what researchers from the University of Utah have just outlined in a new paper published in the journal Nature, under the direction of mechanical engineering professor Jake Abbott, along with authors Lan Pham, Griffin Tabor, Ashkan Porakant. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can imagine cleaning up space. You could launch a large rocket up there, which could, with a large manipulator crane, grab and capture and bring back down a satellite. I mean, that's what the space shuttle was actually designed to do. Capture and grab spy satellites and bring them back down to Earth. And it could also launch things like Hubble and so on. But, you know, that was really one of the driving motivations originally as part of the development. Now, that's one way to clean up space. And if you have a large object, you can certainly do that. Another way is to drive into it and try to deorbit it, push it down into an orbit that will obviously burn up. And that's great if it's large enough that you can find it and send another pusher bot out there to go push it down. You could also have nets or other types of ablative measures to try and slow down objects so they just gradually descend down. Now, these are all very interesting ways, but they're pretty complex and require you picking an object, targeting that, and pushing it out of the way. It doesn't really help with dust-sized particles or small ones because you can't really do the same technique to them easily. Now, one of the good parts about space is that, of course, you don't have gravity or friction really messing around with you that much. So you're free to employ some pretty odd mechanisms, which is exactly what the researchers are trying to do. They're trying to manipulate the orbital objects with an array of magnets, which would enable to influence the object, pull it or push it towards or away from them in a way that would deorbit it without actually having to touch it. And that's got some pretty big advantages because it means you reduce the risk of creating further space objects. Now, the name on this paper is Dexterous Magnetic Manipulation of Conductive Non-Magnetic Objects. That's pretty nuts, but basically it involves moving metallic, non-magnetized objects in space through the use of some spinning magnets. When you get towards some metallic debris, well, it creates... 
it interacts with the changing magnetic field created by these swirling magnets. And what you do that, you create a lot of interesting circulation patterns, electrons circulating inside these metal loops and creates effectively an electromagnet on the surface of that debris. Now, of course, normally there's a lot of other resistive forces which put the brakes on this and make it difficult to actually, say, spin a knife in your hand around by moving a magnet. You have to be pretty close and have a pretty powerful magnet. But in space, there's not that much to stop it. So you can actually create a pretty interesting electromagnet and subtly push and pull and change it, maybe even starting to spin it. And it means you can influence and manipulate something without having to physically grab it. Now, of course, this kind of eddy current principle of creating a magnetic field is, is not new. It's well understood. But by combining an array of magnets acting in different planes, you can not only introduce force in one direction, you can actually spin it in a full six degrees of freedom movement, which is pretty amazing. So instead of just pushing something in a flat plane, you can turn it around, reshape it, reorient it, and push it somewhere else. That's like holding something with a hand. There's a difference between a simple in-out object and one of those sophisticated robotic arms. One of them has way more degrees of freedom than the other and can accomplish more sophisticated tasks. Now, that's useful because sometimes objects in space aren't just static and flat. If an object is decayed or been hit by something else, there's every chance that it's actually spinning out of control. And that's one of the reasons why it's a dangerous piece of debris. If it's spinning out of control like that, or even spinning relatively fast, but not out of control, it means that you can't really go and grab it easily. Now, with this non-contact method, it doesn't really matter. You can start to shape and influence its direction and motion without having to physically touch it. Another thing that's also important is that this concept works for something that's very fragile. Now, a solar array and the SIG solar cells often used aren't very strong because they don't need to actually resist a lot of force. So once they're deployed in space, they're very, very delicate. So to try and push them out of the way with some kind of rough mechanical arm or rocket is not really simple. But with this mechanism, which is non-contact, highly accurate manipulation, it means you can just subtly push and pull that without damaging it and running the risk of creating more dangerous space debris. So of course, this object is not launched onto a rocket today and it's a pretty sophisticated mechanism that would need much further work for example being attached to something like a robotic arm or maybe another craft in order to act as the host mechanism for this nice spinning magnet array mechanism but it is something that gives crews working on say a space mission or perhaps some uncrewed mission to push around and deorbit some space debris it gives them a tool that they can use that actually is gentle in its touch, but also highly accurate. And it's a great way to help clean up space precisely and delicately, rather than a big brute force approach of dragging a net across this orbital lanes. In any case, cleaning up space is going to become more and more important, especially as part of launch requirements for most spedala bodies. And that's why research like this is a great idea to help change people's perceptions of what is and isn't possible in space by using new and novel techniques. This paper was published in the journal Nature. Lead author was Lan Pham, along with Griffin Tabo, Ashkan Pagot, Jacob Arman, Tucker Homans, and Jake Abbott. 
This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From cleaning up space junk scattered around Earth to better understanding where near-Earth asteroids may have come from, such as the Moon. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.